0: This program originally aired on Thursday, July 20th, 2023, as National Intel report on Republic Broadcasting Network. No phone calls are being the taken. It's time. It's become a
1: nightmare. Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town. like a cancer that's silently spreading there's an unspoken fear we're on our way down
0: we must take america back hey, broadcasting from my home studio downtown Belfont, Pennsylvania, worldwide, is National Did Intel Report on Republican Broadcasting Network, Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo, 5 Radio, Patriot Nation Radio Network, anywhere else you might see or hear the show. I'm Peter Serafine, and welcome to two hours of common sense and constitutional discussion. I don't have any guests tonight, and that's a good thing, because um, I got big announcements, and I want to share something with you, and I hope you're going to like it. So, two big announcements. One, my third book will be coming out September 17th, Constitution Day. It's called A More Tyrannical King. It's a book that compares the tyranny of government today to the tyranny of King George III. And i uh, pretty happy about it. So, that comes out September 17th. And, as of uh, this morning it's available for pre-order so you can now go buy it and uh you you know it'll get mailed out to you on september 17th so uh, you can pre-order the ebook from like nine different locations or you can pre-order the paperback from barnes and noble and it'll be on amazon soon it's there but it says it's not available i would say give it another day and you should be able to pre-order it from amazon if you want to um but who likes amazon like why I mean, it is the world's largest bookseller, so I'd appreciate it if they buy it from them and, and give me a review because that would help a lot. But, hey, pre-orders help a lot. When you're a small, independent person like me and I don't have a giant publishing company and, and a marketing budget and all that kind of stuff, those pre-orders help because they all show up as sales on on launch day. So it looks like you get a big bunch of sales all in one day and it really helps you in the rankings. So please, please before september 17th before constitution day order either the ebook or the paperback version of a more tyrannical king i greatly appreciate it. and of course you can do that at Liberty-lighthouse.com slash books and uh, there's a it's right on top cool picture of a cool cover that was made by a friend of mine click it and it'll show you all the different places that you can uh, you can pre-order the book the other big announcement, it's really eating up a lot of my time. And this is something I didn't tell you, Mike, my producer, over there in the control room, Mike, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do a Liberty Minute for a while. Um, this, this other project is sucking up all of my time, just so you know. So I mentioned last week, last Thursday... When I was sitting in this chair behind this microphone, talking to all of you lovely people out there, that I had found this institution of the con- institution on the Constitution, and I thought, "Uh, I want to teach these classes," and I said, "Okay, I'm going to do it." And I told you all that. And I'm like, "Hey, I'm thinking about starting to do like Constitution classes, like." Three of you called in and said, yes, you should do it. We need constitution. Well, I spent the last week searching for a learning management system where I could build online courses without breaking the bank and put these courses out there. There's five courses from the Institute on the Constitution that I want to teach. I started with the one that I think should be first. They don't have a specific order that you have to take them. I started with the one I think should be first. It's called um, The Truth About the Founding of America, Your Heritage and Mine. And it's a course that, that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are a Christian nation and that our government was founded on biblical principles. So what I've decided I'm going to do for the vast majority of the show tonight is I'm going to let you sample, preview lesson one of that four lesson course. So in just a minute, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to hit a video, which is also going to be me, at least partly me, and let you hear that first, that first course. It's going to, it's awesome. I thought it was great. And to be honest, it's this course that I took that actually has me being more faithful, more religious, more of a biblically minded person. Hopefully it will do the same thing for you out there. But the plan is, all right, so all of the five courses I want to offer, they're all different lengths. This one is four lessons. The, the real Constitution course that's really awesome that I want to get out is like 12 lessons. I'm hoping to be able to put out a lesson a week. So I've got lesson one of this course up. So in three more weeks, this entire course will be up. And then I'll move on to the Constitution course, and it'll take like... You know, twelve weeks. It's going to take me like three months to build that online course, and then there's three more courses that I want to do. But they're all different lengths, and I was trying to figure out how to charge for them and all that kind of stuff. But I figured I'm I'm going to charge two dollars and fifty cents a lesson. So this first course, that's four lessons long, the founding, the truth about the founding of America, I'm going to charge ten dollars for it. Now, the um, the cost of that. Goes, you know, not only to support the program, but there's also a cost for the learning management system to be out there, the, the the you know the web course platform for you to be clicking around and doing stuff. So, I'm making it as cheap as I can. And right now, this first course, the the, the truth about the, the America's founding, your heritage and mine. It's up there, and it's, it's set to pre-order. Like, you can pre-enroll in the course. And it says $10. But um, in an effort, I'm, I need you to show me that this is something that you're actually interested in. This is something that you want to do. Now, I want you to show me that by going there and pre-ordering the course. But I'll let you do it for half off. Use the code LIGHTHOUSE between now and the middle of September. And I'll let you sign up for this course for $5. And if you really, really like what I do, then I got a, I got another deal for you. I've got a subscription plan there where you can sign up to give me $10 a month and you'll have access to all of the courses and all of my books for $10 a month. And again... I like you guys and because I need you to show me that you really want this we'll make it $5 use code lighthouse when you go in there you're going to go to subscriptions and you're going to click lighthouse keeper and I'll give you half off whatever the price is so if you do it monthly it would be $5 a month if you do it annually it would be 50 bucks for the year and you'll be able to get all of these courses and all of my books like you'll get the two books that are already up there now for free or for no additional charge I should say And as soon as the third book comes out, I'll put that up there, and you can have that for no additional charge, too, if you subscribe. And to do that, you go to liberty-lighthouse.com and find Classroom. There's a button right there that says Classroom. I'm calling it the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom. So, hmm, I think that's it. I need you to show me the support. I need you. This is a lot of work on my part to put these courses together. I mean, a lot of work. And I don't want to do it if nobody's going to take the courses. So if you're interested in learning about the courses, and the courses are this one, the the truth about America's founding, how our government was founded on biblical principles, and then a 12-lesson-long, hour-and-a-half-each lesson course on the Constitution, and then one about sheriffs and citizens, one about the power of a jury, and then one for a civics class for school kids. Those are the five courses I want to put up there. And you know what? This particular course, this the, tr- the founding on b- biblical principles, the, the truth about American America's founding, your heritage and mine. This one is so good for religious leaders, and I'm going to make you a real deal. If you're a pastor, I will give this course to you for free. So call into the show, or email me, or click the chat button at liberty-lighthouse.com. Tell me you're a pastor, and I will let you have this show for free, or this course for free. I want to get the word out. Like to, I'd like to cover my expenses, but that hasn't happened for the last three years, four years, five years. I've been doing this. However long I've been doing this, so I start now. Right. So two new things, two big exciting announcements. This is why I'm too busy to do the Liberty Minutes. Brand new book coming out September 17th. You can pre-order it now. And brand new course catalog coming. Where I'm going to teach you. The courses from the Institute on the Constitution, and the big course, the 12-week Constitution course, is so good that some colleges around here, some colleges in this country, actually give college credit for that course. It's, it's a really good course. So with that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to let the first course play so that you get a sample and you can see whether or not it's worth it. Hello, welcome to this course, Truth of America's Founding, Your Heritage and Mine. I'm Peter Seraphine, and I'll be guiding you through this enlightening and inspiring seminar. This course is one of several courses offered by the Institute on the Constitution, or the IOTC. The mission of the IOTC is to restore our American American Founding Fathers' Biblical, Constitutional American View of Law and Government, believing that fidelity to this American view is crucial to the preservation of liberty. The goal of this particular course, The Truth of America's Founding, is to demonstrate the role of God and the Bible in the establishment of the United States of America and how our American and Christian heritages are intertwined. In 2020, I took one of the courses from Institute on the Constitution, and I thought it was great. At that time, I didn't realize that there were several other courses or that I could become an instructor of those courses. Here in 2023, I took three more of the offerings, and I decided that I want to host them all. I built this online course structure, and now you're here, too. And during this course please follow along in your student manual the outline in your manual and the lecture will coincide pretty well for this lesson we are going to start with a lecture presentation, presented by pastor david whitney the lead instructor of the institution on the constitution with more than 30 years of experience after his lecture there are going to be some Application and action quizzes as a action questions as a short quiz to assist you in using the new information you'll be learning to make a positive impact on your community. So let's get started. Here is Pastor David.
2: excited about this new series because many people that I talk to about what we do at Institute on the Constitution say, I would love to come for 12 weeks, but I can't find the time to do that. And, uh, you know, you ask them, well, what could you do? Well, I could do a one-day seminar. So that's what we're aiming at a uh, one-day seminar for many across the country that are not able to do the longer version although we're going to encourage everyone once they take the one-day seminar then one of their next steps is to take the entire course because the depth that they will get uh, there is is much greater well let's consider tonight america's founding and the truth of America's founding. Welcome to Institute on the Constitution Seminar, the truth of America's founding, your heritage and mine as well. Think about this for a moment. What is a heritage? It's something passed down from generation to generation. You might think of some of those heirlooms that passed down, but it's more than just objects. The most important heritage. heritage is the thoughts that are passed down from generation to generation, the way we think about things as well as the way we do things. Every nation in the world has a heritage a civilization, or lack thereof, the ideas that form in their thinking and the way that people thought and established their country. To survive and grow a nation must have rules and it must have laws and these rules or laws are going to be based on someone's thinking. The question is whose thinking that is. Now what about your American heritage? What are the ideas behind it? What are the rules? What are the laws? What is the value system that constitutes the heritage of every American? What was the source of those ideas? Where did they come from? And does it really matter one way or another? I'm going to argue tonight that it does matter a great deal. The essence of this seminar is that if we understand the founding and the founding era, then we will be able to restore what has been lost in our country. So this seminar is really for everyone, specifically, as Michael said, decision makers, pastors, teachers, legislators, executives, as well as the working man and woman on the street, because they too are going to influence those who are making the decisions. We've broken this study into four sessions, about an hour each of those sessions in length, We've included discussion questions that are going to follow each of those lectures. We're going to do that pattern uh, here tonight as well. And those questions are designed to get you to think and review and to apply the things that you are learning in each of the, the sessions. Now, this seminar may be a little different from anything else you've heard before, and that's because we're going to use a teaching method that our founding fathers employed. It's called the principal approach. That means rather than studying what someone else says about what happened in history or what men thought or what men did, we're going to go back to the original of the founders themselves. What did they say? What did uh, they write? These are known as the primary source documents that will enable us to see our heritage through the eyes or through the lens of our founders, through their words and their ideas and their principles and what they had in mind for our country from the very beginning. And so for this reason, you're going to see a lot of biblical quotations and citations because that's exactly what our founders used. That doesn't mean that we're talking about any particular or promoting any particular church denomination, but it does mean we're speaking about Christian principles because these are the ideas of our founders as I I hope to show you tonight. They use these ideas about government that they derived from the word of God. Now, this, as we're talking about this, you might assume that we're talking about one political party or another. No, we're not talking about elephants. We're not talking about donkeys or any other creatures in the barnyard. We're going to be talking about the principles of government. And those governmental principles expressed in our founding Constitution and our founding documents, such as the Declaration of Independence for this Constitutional Republic. We'll begin this seminar with prayer for several reasons. First of all, because that's what our founders did. Prayer was a vitally important part of everything that they were about. And oddly enough, that tradition has even been preserved. Congress opens every session with prayer. They actually have a chaplain. And the Supreme Court, surprise of surprise, actually has a prayer at the beginning of their sessions as well. And even many of our presidents, through the history of our country, demonstrated that they were strong uh, Christian followers. So we will use some of the prayers of our founders. Actually, we're going to use one of those prayers uh, even this evening. Let's read together our first president's prayer. George Washington, many people don't know, he wrote a prayer journal, which was a prayer for the morning and a prayer for the evening each day. Uh, But part of that book has been destroyed. And so we only have up to Thursday morning. So we're going to recite together his Thursday morning prayer. But you will notice that the prayer kind of ends abruptly because either the pages were missing or torn and we don't have from Thursday morning on through the rest uh, of the week. But this is Thursday morning prayer, let's stand together and let's pray together, reading his prayer uh, unanimously uh, together. Most gracious Lord God, whose dwelling is in the heavens, highest heavens, and yet beholdest the lowly and humble upon the earth, I blush and am ashamed to lift up mine eyes to thy dwelling place, because I have sinned against thee. Look down, I beseech thee, upon me, thy unworthy servant, who prostrate myself at the footstool of thy mercy, confessing my own guiltiness and begging pardon for my sins. What couldst thou have done, Lord, more for me? Or what could I have done more against thee? Thou didst send me thy son to take nature upon In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You may be seated. so you can see, just as this is one sampling of those prayers, that as we spoke about in in, uh, last week's lecture, our founders were sincere, godly Christians. And uh, they certainly held to the essentials of the Christian faith. George Washington himself said this, uh, when one side only of a story is heard and often repeated, the human mind becomes impressed with it insensibly. The idea that he was conveying is that when you hear something often enough and over and over, you begin to believe it without thinking about it or analyzing it any longer. You're going to hear a side of the story that has been ignored and forgotten, both by mainstream academia and obviously mainstream media. And most outlets have not talked about these things. And that is uh, a tragedy for us as a nation. So you're going to hear the other side, the ignored, the forgotten, the side that has not been taught for many, many years decades in our land. I encourage you to please listen with an open mind to these primary writings and these primary sources, the words of our founders, and then decide for yourself what you think about them and whether you stand with them on these issues. In your student manual, an outline of each lecture is given with questions and answers afterwards, but uh, even more important, there's a section of the founding documents, and we'll refer to that section throughout the seminar and uh, encourage you to read that on your own as well. One last note before we begin, this information is likely to stir questions in your mind as well as in your heart that we may not have time to properly address in the time constraints of the way this seminar is designed. And therefore, you'll have index cards before you on the tables. Please use them. Write down any questions or comments you might have, and we'll seek to answer them later either by email or by phone after the seminar is concluded. Well, let's begin on this seminar the truth of america's founding the first lesson we're going to learn is that our country america was founded on biblical principles and this is an undeniable fact looking at the primary source documents themselves here are some several questions to think about do you have an american heritage do you know what it is can you articulate it to others can you teach it to others Most of us would answer yes to the first question, but we might struggle to put it into words or to teach another person what that American heritage is. Here's another question. Do you have a Christian heritage? And do you know what it is? Can you articulate it and teach it to others? And why is it important to know this? Most of us may be a little unsure of ourselves when we try to answer those questions, What if you were told that your American heritage and your Christian heritage are inextricably linked together? We're going to prove that to you tonight from the founding documents themselves in this seminar studying America's founding. Not from theories or not from what some revisionist historian might want to communicate, but rather from the primary sources and original documents so that you can discover the real truth about America's Christian heritage. Let's go all the way back to uh, 1492. Perhaps you remember that date from your school days. That's when Columbus, as they say, sailed the ocean blue. And Columbus, in our day, is often portrayed as an opportunist, as a villain, as somebody who is not a good character in many ways. But let's look at what he had to say. Columbus's own writings reveal something entirely different than the way he.
0: Right, great great time. We'll come back and finish the license later, but I want you to hear this song. This song's causing a whole bunch of com- commotion because you know people in the cities—they well, don't—they don't think the way the people in small towns do.
1: was the night before christmas the kids snuggled asleep in their beds when you heard a loud rumble like santa and his sled so you went downstairs to take a peek get a look you were confronted by this creep a crook he drew his weapon but you fired first and now this creep could take all your worth secure your family with right to bear insurance plans start at 1095 a month with civil and criminal defense coverage options up to two million dollars
0: Visit liberty-lighthouse.com slash right-to-bear to learn more or to sign up and start protecting what you have now. This program originally aired on Thursday, July 20th, 2023 as to National to tell tell Intel to Report on Republic Broadcasting Network. No phone that calls that are being taken at this time. <laughs> That's just... Freaking great! Now my computer screen is completely frozen; it won't do anything, so I can't continue the lecture. Hey, I think I got it, or maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, have you heard the commotion that that song "Try That in a Small Town" has 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 caused? One of the the, 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 the view, yeah, yeah, those people, they all seem to think that uh, it's racist. That the song is racist. And one of the reasons that they they say that it's racist is because uh, one of the courthouses that's shown in the background, well, there was a lynching there at one point in time, like, you know, 150 years ago or something. The funny thing about that is, if you know anything about history... Uh, any courthouse that's been standing for more than 150 years had hangings and lynchings at them. So because he used an old courthouse in the background of his, his thing, it's, it's racist. And, and if you watch the video, you'll notice, like, at some point, there's somebody robbing a liquor store with a gun, and he's jumping over the counter. And again, they're trying to claim that it's racist. Uh, but the person's wearing gloves and a mask, and you can't tell what color they are. So who's making the racial assumption there? Just because somebody says try that in a small town where we take care of each other, that's not racist. It's the way life used to be. We all took care of each other. Anyway, I said that I wanted to at least mention that song, and then uh, I saw it on every TV show and heard it on every radio show, so I'm not going to dwell on it because I'm sure you've already heard all about it. But Jason Aldean, try that in a small town. I do encourage you to go out there and buy it and download it, even if you don't like the song or don't like Jason Aldean or don't like country music. Just do it, just just to show the support. And um, I'll, I'll take a caller. Mike, Mike in the control room just asked if, if, I'm t- if I want callers. I can take a caller or two if you call in real quick before I uh, restart the Constitution course. Mike in Kentucky, line one, welcome to the show, sir. Oh,
3: uh, well, I didn't know I was going to get on this quick. <laughs> uh, surprise! Welcome. Um, I guess you hit Control-Alt-Delete and uh, started trying to unfreeze some stuff, huh? Yeah, I, I don't know. what my,
0: I, I give up on my computer at this point. Every time uh-huh. I think I have it fixed and I, I go two or three weeks without any problems, and the next week it just uh-huh. freezes on me and does stupid stuff.
3: Well, the like best it. tricks I've run into is just upgrading the memory, you know, if you've got eight.
0: I uh, did that. I doubled. That was the first thing I did was double the memory in it.
3: That's all you have to do is double the memory in it. And I, I think every now and then it, it's a good idea to, to pop those out and flip them around. Like put the, you know, the second chip in the first slot and then put the first chip in the last slot. I don't know how many you've gotten that. A lot of them have four. Some of them have two, two. laptops. Only two. Yeah, so you can switch, play musical chips on that, but upgrading that memory again wouldn't hurt. But I've noticed if you don't accept an update, especially from like Firefox, it seems like it just slows to a crawl. And uh, I've heard people gripe about that with iPhones and stuff too. But uh, a, the big burst of static, the sonic gate, as some people call it, I couldn't hear part of what you said. You're going to like you're gonna start a. What was your next subject, constitutional?
0: A course. I I started out the show, and and what I'm going to do for most of this show is I am starting uh, to produce courses on the Constitution, like web-based training where you can go to my website and you can log in and you can go through courses. And the first course I'm putting together, it's called The Truth About Americans Founding, uh, Your Heritage and Mine, and it it ties the, the, the biblical source of many of our founding documents. To, it ties it together and shows that that uh, you know biblical law and yep. U.S. government were inextricably connected from the beginning.
3: Equal rights and measures. We used to have biblical money, you know, which would be yeah. justifiable as gold, silver, and brass, which I guess you consider the copper and yeah. the nickel and the penny as as uh, kind of a brass. But ultimately, your silver can turn to dross. So, um, what the um, what is that? Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. I was going to ask you if you'd heard about him. Uh, David Barton, I think it is, has wall builders. A lot of people hate that guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know either. He's collected, he's collected up a lot of pre-1850 letters and stuff like that. And, I mean, really, even if the founders were scoundrels, I guess you could say, like, I don't know, deists and stuff, the problem only, is 99% of, of America was Christian
0: right well and that's yeah. if, if you if you listen to this course or watch this course whichever you're doing um the uh the 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 guy who's given this lecture pa- pastor David Whitney he goes back all the way to Columbus's personal journal and the mayflower compact and the Declaration of Independence and he and, and he goes to the personal correspondence and talks about where these quotes came from and where all of it like it's good stuff I'm telling you I am not a religious person at all. I, I, for the longest time, I always thought that our founding fathers did their best to keep religion out of our founding documents. But after taking this course, it, it was truly eye-opening how much religion, or how much God, is in the foundation of this government. And because our government, our Declaration of Independence, 1776 to today, no other nation in the history of mankind has lasted standing upon one foundational document as long as as our Declaration
3: of Independence. None. Well, plenty of documents go that that our Constitution, what was it? Patrick Henry said he smelled a rat, and it was um, uh, a uh, lot of hijinks, I guess you'd say, uh, were pulled, and uh, uh, from what I've heard from paralegals that have studied it, uh, is that the, the, there's still elements of the Articles of Confederation are still in play. Wherever the That's Constitution right. is silent, it re- you know on an issue, it reverts back to the Articles of Confederation, and and we used to uh, in old law dictionaries and stuff, you'll find that the states were listed as the several states, capital letters, S. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that has somehow been eclipsed or set aside in the last, I don't know, 100 years to where, you know, everybody thinks that all that matters is what the federal government says about the law. And I think they've totally flipped what you you mentioned. They've totally flipped the idea that, you know, instead of separation of church and state, it should be separation of the state from church. Exactly.
0: Well, I got... I've got plans to make like 40 hours worth of courses. I mean, this is not a small undertaking. And and it's courses where the lectures already exist. I just have to build the course around the lectures. And it's really good stuff. And I'm really excited about it. And I need you and all the listeners out there to be excited about it. Support me. Go to liberty-lighthouse.com. Click on Classroom and, and uh, either pre-enroll for this class or, or subscribe. Use code Lighthouse. It's half off everything there so you can subscribe for $5 a month, which will get you access to every class I make.
3: Well, that and, phrase, yeah, uh, I was just going to say that phrase that everybody likes to quote, separation of church and state, is was in like an 11-page letter that yeah, Jefferson it, it, was responding to a church.
0: Yeah, it was the first—the first time it was ever brought up was was Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptists, and he was talking right. about protecting the church from the state, not the other exactly. way
3: around. That's the subject. But for eighty years, the Supreme Court ruled that that letter was in support of that, and then they flipped.
0: Right. The Just about in everything in the country seems to have flipped right around the, the turn of the twentieth century, from nineteen hundred thirty's for
3: some reason. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, From 1900 is, to 50 1950. The 1871 corporation was established in Washington, D.C. It's, it's like there's a timetable on a lot of this stuff. And a lot of stuff seems to happen in February, if you start noticing. Yeah, like it's because there's nothing after, else going on. It's one year <laughs> hey, Mike, after the inauguration of the
0: administrator, the president. Hey, Mike, let me let you go so I can finish up this course. This is a free preview of lesson one of uh, the truth about
2: Americans' founding your heritage and mine. He's presented today in his memoirs entitled The Book of Prophecies, dated 1502, which is when he completed it. Notice what he wrote here. It was the Lord who put into my mind, I could feel his hand upon me, to sail to the Indies. There is no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit because he comforted me with rays of marvelous illumination from the Holy Scriptures. Well, that's a very different perspective than what most people have when they think about Columbus and what they have been taught about Columbus. It's interesting to see his attitude towards the natives that he encountered because he showed a concern for their spiritual well-being. And notice this next quote from the book of prophecies where he says, I knew that they, the, the native peoples, they were a people who could better be freed and converted to our holy faith by love than by force. They remain so much our friends that I believe they would easily be made Christians. So we see the heart and the motivation of Christopher Columbus, and we want to be clear that he was not a perfect man. Other than Jesus Christ, there has been no man that is sinless. So indeed, uh, Columbus did some things that are wrong, some things that could not be justified. However, look at his motivation here that undergirded his voyage to the new world. It was God's inspiration. It was a desire to lead others to faith in Jesus Christ. And we all know that God works through imperfect human beings because we're a w- room full of them. And if God's going to work through us, he could work through anyone. He worked through Col- Christopher Columbus as well. And it's important that you see this side of the story that's often not uh, presented today, which again, this illustrates learning from revisionist historians' perspective on Columbus or taking Columbus at his own words from primary source documents, the actual diary here of this uh, very important person. Now, much more detail than we can go into in this seminar about Columbus can be found in an excellent book by Professor John Eismo, Columbus and Cortez, Conquerors for Christ. And God did work through Columbus. He brought the gospel to the Western Hemisphere and to America. And this, I believe, was the beginning of our American Christian heritage, the work that was accomplished. And, and uh, that Professor Eismo, I believe, gives ample evidence and compelling arguments from primary sources in uh, his book. Well, let's look at another very important historical point about Columbus's voyage to the New World. The question is, why did he sail west to get to India, which is in the Far East? Isn't that kind of the wrong direction to be going? After all, the much shorter route would be to have traveled over land uh, to reach that than, than to travel halfway or more than halfway around the world. And so he traveled west, but here's the reason. You see, there was a barrier to overland travel in the days of Christopher Columbus. And that barrier is is Islam. You see, for centuries, Islam had controlled checkpoints and the trade routes that would lead to India. And in the 40 years preceding 1492, those trades routes were shut down by the Mohammedans. They would not allow any Christians into those areas at all. And so basically the trade was cut off with the Far East, which had become a lucrative trade in that day. And so there was one other alternative and one to sail around the tip of, of Africa, which was a very dangerous and uh, treacherous voyage. Others did make it. But Columbus proposed to sail west as the easiest route route to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Indies, which he thought were much closer than they actually were. We need to know that Islam, from its very inception, has been at war against Christianity. And that war has gone on and off, hot and cold, for many uh, centuries. But since the founding of our country, almost from the inception of our country, Islam has also been at war with the United States. Do you know the first war, after we concluded the War for Independence... The very first war that was declared against America, you know who it was? It was the Barbary pirates. They, Those were Mohammedans who were attacking our shipping, imprisoning and then selling as slaves American sailors and some American women and some American children on ships that uh, were captured by these Barbary pilots, pirates. And so the very first war was a, full, a war against the Mohammedans and uh, uh, that war was successfully waged and won. Off the coast of Tripoli, North Africa, in the years 1801 to 1805, uh, the Marines were a very important part of that war. Anybody here served in the Marines? Or you have family members that served in Marines? I'd like to thank those who served because in serving our country, they kept uh, freedom alive. And if uh, you know some Marines, you ought to thank them for their service. Can you think of the very first words of the Marine hymn, you know? From the holes of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. Tripoli, that was the Barbary pirate wars that were fought. And the, the Marines were a very important part of winning that battle. And so uh, Islam in 1804 was attacking Christians and enslaving and selling Christians as slaves in North Africa uh, during that war. And uh, the Islamic fighter's most common weapon was a scimitar, a, a crescent-shaped sword with which they loved to run on horseback and lop off the heads of their victims, which was anybody that opposed Islam. And that's where the term leathernecks came from. You know that? The the Marines recognized this strategy of battle and that they needed extra protection, so they made very thick and heavy leather collars, which would not allow the swords of the uh, Mohammedans to get through and uh, se- separate their head from their shoulders. Now, when we think of the battle and the, what took place, it's important for us to know that history. Because today, the increasing acts of Islamic terrorism are all part of that same history that goes all the way back to Muhammad himself. The assaults on innocent civilians around the world, as well as here in our United States, becomes extremely important at this time that we learn more of these historical truths about Islam and Christianity. We don't have time, obviously, in this seminar to go into great, deal, great detail on that topic, but we've included in your packet the threat of Islam to Liberty and Christianity, a short booklet, a good read that uh, encourage you uh, to, to peruse because that will give you an understanding of that whole issue. Well, moving from the founding in the Columbus era, moving to perhaps the most important of all the early people who came to America, we find that it was families that were first settled in a little uh, group of pilgrims, and they were the first families, not the first people, because obviously Jamestown was before that, but it was not primarily families that settled Jamestown. The first families that came and settled America were, were the pilgrims. And uh, our 12-week course at Institute on the Constitution, that gives a much more gripping story and much more detail about the pilgrims in their own words. But, uh, uh, and their primary source there is of Plymouth Plantation, written by their second governor, uh, William Bradford. And due to time constraints, we won't share uh, much of that. But I want to share one element of that, because contrary to most modern-day teaching, the reasons the pilgrims came to America was not for religious freedom. You probably haven't heard that before. You see, the pilgrims already had gained their religious freedom back in 1608, 12 years earlier, when they escaped from the tyrannical King James I, and they emigrated to Holland, where they had religious freedom. Now, they decided to come to America from Holland. They decided to make that dangerous voyage with their whole families, moms and dads, and put everyone at risk. And that Atlantic crossing was one in which there was death. And it was not a safe crossing for most people. But it was not just male explorers. Men, women, children, all together, families came And they came not as some of the other explorers and and settlers had to, you know, gain wealth and and expand an empire. They came to do something very, very different. And they told us in the Mayflower Compact exactly what it is that they plan to do. Turn to your copy there and let's read their words out loud. This is what they said their purpose was in the Mayflower Compact. Let's read this together. Um, In the name of God, amen. Having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern part of Virginia. We'll pause right there in our reading of it, but it should be noted that it's very important phrases here that have often been removed from school textbooks, that is the few textbooks that still refer to the Mayflower Compact, and the underlined portions there that have been removed are, in the name of God, amen, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. The revisionist historians do not want children to know that this was the purpose for which the pilgrims came to America. Uh, another perfect example of historic revisionisms. They came to America not just for personal religious liberty. They came, it says, to set up an entire nation for the purpose of glorifying God and for the purpose of advancing the Christian faith. Notice what they said they were going to do. They were going to unite God and government. Wow. Wow. Today, when you talk about something like that, people get really upset with you. But that's what they said they came to do, to unite God and government. And this is the first very clear link in the heritage of our American country, linking the American heritage with our Christian heritage. They would call this American exceptionalism. How did they do this? Wouldn't it have been great if the pilgrims left us a written manual, a set of instructions, a strategy for freedom to establish and maintain that freedom, something we could refer back to uh, time to time. Well, actually, they did. We're going to see it here in a moment uh, from the film Monumental. We have permission of Kirk Cameron and the other producers of Monumental to show you this clip out of that presentation. So if you'd just pay attention to uh, Monumental. I wish I wish they had left us some kind of, of a... Of a of a a
1: training manual, some kind of a a secret sauce recipe card that we could pick up and go, all right, here's what it is. Here's what we do. What do we do? How do we get back to that? Now, when uh, the children of Israel going into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan River, and God stood it on in, and they walked across. And before the waters stopped parting, God told them to take 12 stones from the bottom of the river and put it up on the top of Mount Gilgal and make a monument so that when your children ask, what are these stones you'll be able to tell them this is where God parted the sea and that's what the pilgrims left us they left us a monument that not only gives tribute to what was accomplished here but it gives us a specific strategy a breakout of a blueprint of if we would ever forget what made America great what made us free we can go back and follow that strategy and it's right up on a hill a half mile from here right here? right here you <music> 180 tons of solid granite it's the largest granite monument in america and it's hidden on a hilltop overlooking plymouth in a residential neighborhood i've never heard of this hardly anybody in america knows about it and yet the people of america put this together over a 70 year period paid for by the congress paid for by the state legislature in massachusetts as a strategy laid out who called the matrix of liberty that was given to us by the forefathers, by the pilgrims. And they, those 130 years ago, when they built this, wanted to leave this behind for us. So that if we would ever forget how liberty is built, we would know what to do to regain it. This is how they did it. This is how they did it. Now, if if somebody else wants to try another way, which is what's happening today in America, we're trying a thousand ways to turn America around. But this is the way it was done. This is it, the only successful strategy of liberty that has ever been carried out in the history of mankind. Well, let's walk through it. And yeah, this, yeah, yeah we're, Let's we're, take this strategy apart. What does this mean? What are they trying to tell us here? So where do you, where do you well, start? Well, her name is Faith. says so, so right there. And she is pointing her finger to heaven. Why? For God is. For God is, because her faith is in the God of the Bible in Jesus Christ. They knew that the only faith that could bring true liberty was a faith in the one true God and his Bible. And you see a Bible there, an open Bible. It's a Geneva Bible. The pages are opened up, which meant that they read it. And as they read it, and as they had faith in God, he gave them wisdom. That's why you see the star on her forehead. She's given wisdom to know how to live in this world. And all of the rest of these statues, each one weighing almost 20 tons, is tied to faith, because without faith, it falls apart. And that's the beginning of it all. Where do we go from there? From, from here, you need to go to character or morality and you'll notice because that's the internal liberty that is the internal liberty which is the beginning of all freedom she is called morality notice that she has no eyes that is on purpose because she's looking internal internal character the transformation of the heart first and then that brings external transformation and notice that she has the ten commandments in her left hand and the scroll of revelation in the right what would that signify the vinyl exactly that if you want to have morality there has to be a standard and more than that there has to be an internal transformation this is speaking of the need to internalize and allow god to change our hearts and our minds first because from in in england you had top-down morality imposed on people do this do that you're moralizing people but you're saying their morality started in the heart in the heart it had to be changed here they realized just because you said you were a member of a church like the church of england didn't make you a christian and you see this over on the side the side statues give an explanation of what the meaning of this is for us that's why we need the evangelist you see the evangel here writing down the gospels and there's a need for evangelists why because we need to have the gospel the gospel of the great liberating gospel of christ that says he came to set us free first so this is completely contrary to the way the rest of the world had done it up to this point. The, 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 the pilgrims are saying that morality starts internally with the gospel. The evangelist has to preach the message that transforms the heart and then you want to do what's right rather than being forced to do what's right from the king who tells you what good and bad is. That's it. Okay, what's next? What's next is, and you see the development of it, if you want to have a free civilization, you need to have civil authority or civil law that will give a base for that freedom in other words you've, you've got to have some degree of order in society and that order as you see here is built upon law the principles of god's law then are related into the civil law and that's what we see here in, in his left hand we also see his hand his right hand is extended in mercy mercy toward those that that he's dealing justice with why because this form of law has a degree of equity in it. You see this in the side statues where Can we it, go? See yeah, yeah. Justice. She's holding the scales of justice with justice and equity, which which means that, you know, when a crime is committed, it should be uh, cared for in terms of its punishment, the same for the rich and for the poor and for everyone else. There should be equality under the law. On the other side, we notice That this form of law is different than the laws of so many nations that are built on tyrants, that are built on, if the Aztecs wanted to cut your heart out, they just cut your heart out. Here, mercy. Mercy built upon the base that he offers us, mercy and grace, uh, along with law. And in this form of law, there is that uh, tremendous mercy. So you have to start with faith.
2: Faith in...
0: All right, it's almost break time, so i got to pause. And I, and I need to send a message out. If there's somebody who just subscribed, and I greatly appreciate that. Somebody just subscribed, and they, but they used a, uh, a, a an email address that isn't working. In order to get the course for free, I need you to contact us. Either call the show, email me, hit the chat button at liberty lighthousecom something. I have to give you a coupon code to use to get the courses for free. Right now, Lesson 1 is up there as a free preview, but as I add the rest of the lessons, they're not going to be free previews anymore. You're going to need a coupon code to get it for free. So if you just signed up to subscribe, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate that. And you put a uh, a bogus email address in, or maybe you put in, uh, typed it wrong. Let me know. Anyway, it's, uh, it's break time. Be back in... Uh, Two three minutes. Peace. I've been sleeping on a my pillow pillow for years, and a couple of years ago, I tried the my pillow towels, soft and absorbent, wonderful bath towels. Recently, I got the my Giza dream sheets, and they are by far the best quality bed sheets I've ever owned. Well, the quilt is pretty awesome, too. New products being added all the time at MyPillow.com, including sandals and slides and pajamas and, well, everything that you need for sleeping. Use the code LIGHTHOUSE at MyPillow.com to save yourself up to 66% off. That's the code LIGHTHOUSE at MyPillow.com. This program originally aired... On Thursday, July 20th, 2023, as National Intel Report on Republic Broadcasting punch, Network, no phone calls the are being taken at this time.
4: old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool, act a fool if you like. Cuss
1: out a cop, spit his face.
0: Yeah. Hey, you remember when uh, when BLM was doing all their stuff and they were promising that they were going to take it to the suburbs? You know, when they were doing that, what I was thinking was, I know people who will literally sit in a tree for days hoping for a chance to shoot something. Really? You're going to come out here? <laughs> That's funny stuff. Anyway, that song, again, Jason Aldean, try that in a small town. Good stuff. It's It's been called racist. CMT, country music television, took it off the air. Like, they're not even going to air the, the, the video anymore. And um, it, it's it's just what it sounds like. Try try that city crap, carjackings and robbing liquor stores and stuff like that in a small town and see how far it gets you. And uh, I think we need to support Jason Aldean and just show contempt for places like CMT, like downloading that, that, uh, that audio, uh, by the way, welcome back to the second hour of national Intel report live on Republic broadcasting network, Liberty lighthouse on Mojo five Oh radio and, and Patriot nation radio network. We're going through and playing, or I'm going through and I'm playing a course that I'm building right now. It's, it's called the, uh, the, the, uh, the truth about America's founding. And it's, it's a course that I'm in the process of building and I'm going to make available to you all for about $10. But right now, if you use code Lighthouse, we're going to make it $5. And to do that, you go to liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom or click the classroom icon on there on the homepage. Um, you got two options of how you can do this. You can, you can pay for each course. I'm planning on making five courses. We're talking like 40 hours worth of training. Um, you can pay for each one by themselves, which is probably going to end up costing you know, like, 40, like 80 bucks or something like that. Uh, or you can subscribe. And if you subscribe, then I'm going to give you access to uh, not only all of the courses, but all of my books as well uh, for download for free or for no additional cost. So you, if you subscribe for $10 a month or a hundred dollars a year, uh, you, you get all of this stuff included in your subscription. And right now, that's $5 a month or $50 a year using code lighthouse but that is a limited time offer that's going to end in the middle of September so if you're interested in learning about the constitution where we came from where the founding fathers got their inspiration got their words where they what, quote what they quoted in their writings these are the kinds of courses that you need you need to, to listen to this is good stuff it's all courses that are, are uh i'm doing in conjunction with the institute on con- on the constitution they put out some good work i'm teaching their materials and uh with that i guess we'll just that recipe this is that that strategy
1: that matrix that was what built america this is it And if we want to try something else, yeah, people can try other things. But in the history of the world, the one strategy that has brought more liberty, more prosperity, and more joy than any other is this strategy. Why would you go anywhere else?
2: Amen. Uh, That is very powerful, isn't it? Wonderful. The, the strategy of our founders. It was clear. It's clear. We'll, we'll take some questions later on. But let's uh, focus on what they said there at the very end of this clip, that the result of living the strategy outlined in this monument has brought more liberty, more prosperity, and more joy to our country than any other strategy in the history of the world. That's what made America great. And here's the main point of all of it. There cannot be real liberty or real prosperity for any people or for any nation without God, without Jesus Christ, and without biblical principles. Those are the keys to true liberty. Other nations have tried to copy American strategy. You know, they've taken our Constitution, altered a few words here and there and so forth, and uh, they've hoped that their people could enjoy the same measure of freedom and prosperity that has been in our history. But many of these nations have not lasted very long at all, and they haven't really provided the same level of freedom and prosperity. What's the difference? They took the same document. The difference is what we saw in this presentation. They did not really understand that the most important part of the strategy of our pilgrim forefathers and our founders as well, that they all understood, is that we must have faith in the God of the Bible and in his principles in order to be truly free. Biblical principles lead to freedom, while man-made principles lead to chaos, confusion, and to tyranny. And don't we see all too much of that in our day at this point in time? Well, during the next 140 years, from 1620 to 1760, the new colonies grew, and they prospered. They did very well, because the biblical principles being learned from the pilgrims were passed on to the next generation and the next generation through education in the home, in the church and in the school. By the way, it was all private schools. There was no public school in America until about 80 years after the Constitution was signed. And the private schools were far more successful than anything that's ever been accomplished by the so-called public or government-run schools. You see, the early colonists understood these biblical principles would assure a foundation of liberty for our land and that tyranny and bondage would result from ignorance and neglect of these biblical truths. So the Christian lifestyle of the colonial families was further intensified in the Great Awakening that took place from 1740 to 1760. Jonathan Edwards and and, uh, George Whitfield were the major leaders in that uh, revival in America. And many historians analyzing that period have concluded that there never would have been an American war for independence had it not been for that great awakening, had it not been for that spiritual revival that laid the groundwork for that breakaway and that liberty from uh, tyranny. The godly environment of the awakening actually affected many of our founding fathers, people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, as well as John Adams. They were young men during that period, period of the great awakening. Well, by 1760, many of the colonists were becoming increasingly upset with England's tyrannical rule over them. They strongly opposed things like the trade uh, acts that uh, the British Council had enacted in 1760 that authorized the search without a warrant of your personal property, of your home, for any reason whatsoever. Does that sound all familiar with what's happening today? Yep, shades of that happening right now. They also opposed the Stamp Act of 1766, which imposed heavy taxes on the colonists without any parliamentary representation on their part. Most of us remember in school that phrase, taxation without representation. We're told that's the reason we separated. Well, it is one of the complaints that uh, we – but we'll see that it was only one of 27 complaints and grievances that the colonists listed in the Declaration of Independence – A much more prevalent slogan than taxation without representation actually was in the founding era, and it was this. And again, most textbooks won't tell you this. It was this phrase, no king, but King Jesus. No king, but King Jesus. That was the sounding cry for our founders' era. And that echoed the pilgrim strategy for America. The colonists recognized that God's authority extended over civil government as well as family government and church government and self-government. Well, when it became clear to the colonists that uh, just insisting on their rights was not sufficient, the colonial leaders who opposed this tyranny officially declared independence from King George III and from England when they met in Congress in July of 1776, and they wrote the Declaration of Independence. Many years later, John Quincy Adams, who was son of founding father John Adams and sixth president of the U.S., he said, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this, It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. This isn't me saying this, it's John Quincy Adams saying this. A primary source telling us that our American heritage and our Christian heritage were linked together in the founding era. That's what they understood. Historian David Barton in his book, The Role of Pastors and Christians in Civil Government said, no nation has ever endured as long under the same founding document as America has under the Declaration of Independence. France had her revolution about 10 years after, uh, after ours, and uh, she is now under her 15th form of government. Russia had four constitutions just since 1918. This type of instability has characterized much of European countries as well as the rest of the world, except America. By the way, this book is is part of your materials as well. So where did our founders find the ideas that made the Declaration of Independence the most successful government document in the history of the world? We could find that answer in their own words by looking at the Declaration of Independence itself. Notice that as you study the Declaration of Independence they referred to the God of the Bible four times in that document. And these references, we'll find, are highlighted. Highlighted. Please remember, this is a government document. This was not something published by the church. No, it was a government document. Let's start at the very beginning and focus on the first two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence. I'd like you, if you would, to read this first paragraph aloud uh, with me. Let's read together. When in the course of human events... It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. Let's stop right there for a moment and consider those words. That phrase, the laws of nature and nature's God, is critical. It's a very well-known legal phrase during the founding era, and everyone in the colonies knew exactly what that phrase meant. So it's important that we know what they understood it to mean in their day, because actually, it still means the same thing. Revisionist historians have tried to muddy it, but it still means what it meant in their day. These essential words meant the following. By the way, the definitions we're going to take are from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. This is another primary source. Noah Webster, if you read the introduction to this dictionary, the reason he wrote this dictionary was to preserve the meaning of the words in our founding documents. In other words, he understood over time, and we're more than 200 years down the pike now, over time, the words might get muddied, the meanings might be altered, and people might try to change what they said. And he wanted you and I to understand what the founders meant by every word in the founding document. So we're going to refer to Webster's 1828 Dictionary. So what does this phrase, the laws of nature, actually mean? Webster says this, it is a rule of conduct arising out of the natural relations of human beings established by the creator and existing prior to any written precept. Thus, it is a law of nature that one man should not injure another independently of any prohibition from a supreme uh, power. So in other words, these are the laws that are intuitively known to man through our God-given conscience. So, you know, when you have children, and we've had a couple of children, when they're young, they often squabble and fight over toys. Have you ever heard kids say to one another, it's mine, you know, they're fighting over some toy, and one kid will grab the toy out of the other kid's hand and go running with it. And what's the kid who just had the toy taken out of his hand going to do? He's going to go after that other kid, right? He's going to get his toy back. Why? It's mine. So before you can even teach them property rights and a whole theory of of governmental property rights, they know property rights. They know what God's law says. Thou shalt not steal. God's written it on their heart. Romans chapter two, verses 14 and 15 clearly state that as well. So these laws are the internal laws that God has written on the hearts of every human being. So according to the laws of nature, and of nature's God, your conscience and the revealed law of God's word, the Bible, are what these two statements mean. Let's look at that second uh, phrase, the laws of nature's God. And again, going to Webster, uh, the moral law, here it is, uh, contained in the Ten Commandments, written by the finger of God. And so these are the laws that God revealed in a book, not just written on our hearts, but revealed in his book, the Bible. So this would include the Ten Commandments, obviously, but is not limited to the Ten Commandments. Another primary source for our founders would be Sir William Blackstone. He was the leading legal thinker of the day. Every one of our founders read his commentaries. And so when he spoke on this issue, they followed his thinking. And he said this, the laws of nature's God include all revealed law, which meant all other divine laws found in the Bible. So, not just the Ten Commandments, the entire Bible is the laws of nature's God. So, right here in the Declaration of Independence, the foundation of law in America is the laws of nature and the laws of nature's God. Now, we want to emphasize that words matter. And their origins and their definitions do not change in spite of those revisionists who want to try to make us believe that they have changed. And it's really important that we learn to understand the significance of this phrase, the laws of nature and nature's God. Because that phrase is the foundation. It established the very basis for all law and for all government in our founding era. If a law is enacted by the people or by the government, and it falls within the boundary of the laws of nature and nature's God, then the people were bound to obey that law. It was a legitimate law. But if the government or if the people, if any law fell outside those boundaries of the laws of nature and nature's God, it was considered pretended legislation, and the people were not bound to obey pretended legislation. Now, did I just make this all up? Or are we really discovering what our founder's original understanding of law was. Of the 27 complaints and grievances against King George III that are numbered for you there, only one of these relates to taxation without representation. Only one of 27. Take a look for a moment at grievances number 13 and number 19. And I'd like you to join me in reading these aloud, these grievances against King George III. Number 13, he has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. And then number 19, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses. Did you notice the words, the phrases there? Pretended legislation and pretended offenses? What does pretend mean? It means to make something up. You know, it it means to make something that's not true. And that's exactly what our founders knew King George was doing. He was making up laws out of thin air that were not true, offenses that did not meet the criteria of the laws of nature and nature's God. Do you think the same application should be made today? Oh, it should, right? We we need to take a look at all the supposed laws to see if they meet this criteria. All laws all executive orders, and even court opinions, even Supreme Court opinions. When they're rendered, they, if they do not comply with the laws of nature and nature's God, they should not be considered legally binding. So, let's just put, put this to the test here. According to the laws of nature and nature's God, your God-given conscience and the revealed law of God in the Bible, including but not limited to the Ten Commandments, can abortion be legal in America? And the answer is no. Why? Because God has given his command and his word in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not take innocent human life. It is a crime. And so according to the laws of nature and nature's God, it's not law and should not be considered as law. Let me ask you another question. If two men do some crazy ceremony and claim that they got married, is that marriage or two women do the same thing? Is that marriage? Oh no, not according to God's law, the laws of nature, nature's God. Very clearly in Genesis chapter one, God made them male and female in Genesis chapter two. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is how our founders looked at law. This is what they meant when they said in the Declaration of Independence the laws of nature and nature's God were the standard and not any human thinking, and obviously not what's going on in America today. Tragically, in America today, there are lots and lots of pretended laws, and we're dealing with unbelievable amount of pretended offenses in our day. Well, let's move on to the second paragraph of, of the Declaration of Independence. The first sentence is one of the most remembered sentences of everyone. Let's uh, read it together, if you would. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now let's stop right there and consider some of the specific phrases. Let's start with the phrase created equal. Why did they use the word created? Because they believed in a creator God who created the entire universe and created every single human being. And because they considered the existence of creator, as it says here, a fundamental premise, they actually called it there, it's, you know, it's, it's not something to even argue about. It's not something they had to defend. It's as plain as the multiplication tables, two times two equals four. And you can't change it no matter what. There is a creator God. That was the fundamental premise of everything else uh, that it was based upon it. And so notice also, he said that they were created equal. And equal doesn't mean the same. That is, it doesn't mean every human being is exactly the same height, has the same hair color, the same eye color, the same intelligence, the same physical skills, the same weight. No, we're all very different. Every one of us, very, very unique. By equality, they did not mean equality of outcome, that everybody has the same education, drives the same car, went to the same school, and blah, 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 is the same in every way, shape, or form. They never had that in mind, and neither is it implied in anything they stated here. In the Declaration of Independence, not equality of outcomes, but equality for this purpose, equality under the law. Everyone, whether rich or poor, no matter the color of their skin, everyone should be held accountable to the exact same standard and everyone tried by the exact same set of laws. No equality of outcome, but equality under the law is what they were referring to. And it's interesting to see because what has been attempted since the supposed great society of LBJ is to buy trillions of dollars, perhaps at this point in time, to create some equality of outcomes. So entitlement programs and money spent on uh, certain forms of education to try to make equal outcomes for everyone. And what's happened? It's failed miserably. Why? It doesn't comport with how God made the universe. So you're fighting against the creator. You can never win that battle. It will never be done. Now, let's look at this last phrase, certain unalienable rights. That word unalienable is very important. Again, Webster's 1828 dictionary says unalienable means that which cannot be withdrawn or taken away. You see, our founders believed that there were certain inherent rights for all human beings that came directly from their creator, In other words, we're endowed with these rights by our creator, that that no person and no government can take these rights from us. They're unalienable. Now, they might violate those rights, and they often do. In the history of the world, more than often, they violate the rights rather than defend them. And so let's look back at the second sentence here, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In this one sentence, we have, The entire description of the founder's view of the purpose of civil government. The first part, to secure these rights governments are instituted among men, clearly states that our founder's purpose was that if government secured and protected our unalienable rights, then it fulfilled its function, and that's all. Anything beyond that was not its function. That was its sole purpose, its sole uh, function. And what are those rights? Well, God-given rights like life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. By the way, that last uh, phrase there is one that there's a great deal of debate about what it was that Jefferson meant with his phrase, the pursuit of happiness. But we do know before the pursuit of happiness occurred, earlier in the draft, it was property, life, liberty, and property. And it was basically an expansion of your economic liberties, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of virtue, we uh, should add in our day, was really what they were focused on. For if you pursued virtue... God's word says, then you would truly uh, be happy. Now, notice one other phrase that's very important at the end of that sentence, the last part of it, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That means we the people are to decide what powers our civil government has. It's not the other way around. They don't get to determine the limits of their powers. It's we the people that determine the limits of their powers.
0: Well, that's something we seem to have forgotten, or they have seemed to have forgotten. One or the other, the we determine the limits of our government's powers, according to, well, our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution. That's That seems unreasonable today. It's almost break time, but I wanted to stop and, and just tell you what we're listening to. If you're popping in and out of the show, I don't know. This is a free preview of one of the courses that I am building that's going to be available at liberty-lighthouse.com. Nobel Prize nominated for his COVID-19 treatment protocols. The late Dr. Zelenko created Z-Stack to help boost your immune system. And when you order Z-Stack, you're not only boosting your immune system, you're also supporting Freedom Fighters Foundation. So boost your immune system by going to ZStackLife.com and use the code LIGHTHOUSE. Be healthier. Support the Freedom Fighters Foundation. Use the code LIGHTHOUSE at ZStackLife.com. This program originally aired on Thursday, July twentieth, 2023 as National Intel Report on Republic Broadcasting Network. No phone calls are being taken at this time. It's one of my favorite songs. Anyway, hey, if you're just joining the show, we're going through a free preview of one of the courses that I'm going to build and put on my website, liberty-lighthouse.com uh, slash classroom. This course is called The Truth of America's Founding, uh, Your Heritage and Mine. It is a, it's basically proving that the United States government, our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, were all founded on biblical principles. The course is going to be $10.00. The Lesson 1, which we're previewing tonight, is available as a free preview there. After that, it will be $10 to finish the course. Or if you use Code Lighthouse, you get 50% off. Code Lighthouse expires in the middle of September. So you get 50% off, you can get the course for $5. Code, the Code Lighthouse also works on subscriptions. The subscription is $10 a month or $100 for a year. And if you subscribe, you get all of the courses as they're being built for free. For no additional charge and you also get uh, all of my books my new book coming out on september 17th a more a tyrannical king that'll be three books five courses all at no additional charge when you subscribe that's ten dollars a month a uh, hundred dollars a year or five dollars a month fifty dollars a year if you do it before uh the code lighthouse expires coupon code lighthouse save 50 so since this is a free preview, let's see if how much more of it we can get done before the end of the show. This is the final segment, so uh, let's see what we
2: the can do. The committee looked at it and said, you know, we want to add to this. And one of the things they chose to add, Jefferson only had one reference to God. Well, they added a second reference to God. They added this reference. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. And then they took their draft to Congress. And Congress looked at it and said, Well, this is good, but it's not strong enough. And they added two more references to the God of the Bible. Congress added this. We appeal to the supreme judge of the universe for the rectitude of our intentions. That is, they said, we know there is a creator God and he is Lord and God and judge. Someday he's going to judge what we're doing in this war for independence. And we are appealing to him that what we're doing is just and right and according to his law. And then in the final paragraph, the Congress added this. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we pledged to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They were relying on God. In a sense, they were appealing and praying to God for his help in this war that would bring liberty. Historian David Barton summarizes uh, what they, they did. The majority of the founding fathers wanted God to be the center of their government. The Supreme Court of the United States pointed to the Declaration of Independence as clear proof of the intention of the founding fathers that Christian principles were to remain the basis of our civil government. And that is what we teach at Institute on the Constitution. That is what all of our courses are seeking to communicate. More evidence can be found in your books, and we'll hope you'll read through those, those documents on your own, drawing it all back to the biblical principles upon which our country was founded. Well, it's time to review and to make modern-day applications. You've just learned how your American and Christian heritage were linked, creating the American exceptionalism. You've also seen and read how this demonstrated his, is demonstrated historically when our founders did that, linking it in our Declaration of Independence. The founders linked civil government to biblical principles in the Mayflower Compact as well, and they set up a government. Now, when we set up a government, we know it's all about politics, Right. If you think of the word politics, many people divide it into two parts, poly, which is the Greek word for many, and ticks. well, we all know what those are in the springtime, those bloodsuckers that you just can't seem to ever kill, you know. Uh, and, well, that might kind of seem to describe what uh, the mess we're in today, does it not? But we're going to see afterwards what Webster says in the 1828 Dictionary about the definition of politics according to our founders' understanding of that historically. As we've just seen, the church and state work side by side. What do you think it would look like today if the same thing were happened, happen? If the church and the state work side by side in politics?
0: Before we move on, let me explain some of the resources in your student manual please turn to page five so that we can go over the resources and the going deeper sections together. Each of the four lessons in this course will have a list at the end listing which resources were used in this particular lesson. So if you want to check Pastor David's facts or if you want to read more, you can do that. I'm going to read the note at the bottom of page five. It's important stuff. Several important portions of these seminar lectures are built around sections from the four additional material resources in the Complete Student Kit, the Monumental DVD, The Threat to Islam, The Threat of Islam to Liberty and Christianity, The Role of Pastors and Christians in Civil Government, and a Pocket Constitution. If you only ordered the basic kit, just the student manual, when you registered and you would like these additional resources, you can still order them as a supplemental package, the Extra Student Heritage Materials, for just $35. These materials will provide much more in-depth knowledge if you have your own copies to watch and read in their entirety. I have placed links to the student manual, the complete kit, and the supplemental extra materials below. Next, please note the Going Deeper Supplemental Readings and Videos section. Every lesson will also have these extra free resources, all of which will augment what you've just learned. Since we are conducting this course online, and we don't have the time constraints of an open lecture with dozens of participants, We're actually going to use many of these resources here. In fact, let's watch the first video. What makes you American? Going back to the going deeper part of your manual, please note that only one of the articles listed at the end of each lesson is going to be printed in your manual. I strongly recommend that you go to the websites provided and download, save these articles and videos on your personal computers. Saving these articles and videos will create a great reference library for you to not only read and watch, but to share with others. You may also wish to print your favorite articles and add them to your student manual. Now let's watch the second extra video. It's the law. The American view is the biblical view.
4: are you an american if you are can i ask you a question in your way of thinking what makes you an american is it where you were born or where you live does a social security number make you an american or a passport or a driver's license if we think back to when america began what made you an american back then was it geography that drew our founders together in a struggle to free themselves from the tyranny of king george III? i don't think so The words of the founders themselves suggest something else. Could it be that the men who formed the Declaration Committee gave us a clue in the very document they drafted? Well, I think so. What brought them together and unified their resolve to risk their lives and fortunes and stake their honor was what they believed. What made them Americans was their common faith and the commitment to act boldly on that faith. What were the tenets of that faith as expressed in the Declaration? Well, for them, it came down to three basic points. They said, there is a God a creator god they said our rights come from him and they said the purpose of government is to protect and defend these god-given rights this is the faith of our fathers and its application to government it's what made them americans now let me ask you are our current leaders in government americans do they believe these things and are they committed to act on these beliefs and allow me to challenge you once again are you an american This is Michael Anthony Peruca for Institute on the Constitution, bringing you The American View.
0: Okay, it's quiz time. The title of the Q&A pages explains the purpose of the questions. Making an impact. Lesson. Applications and Actions q and A. I I put a few of the questions in a little quiz. After the quiz, we'll have one more short video to watch.
4: At the foundation of every social order is a concept of law and government. For most of the history of our country, this foundation was the Bible, the Word of God, including both the Old and the New Testaments. Thus, the American view of law and government is founded on the biblical view of law and government. This is explicitly made clear in the Declaration of Independence, which makes reference to the laws of nature and nature's God and the supreme judge of the world. The Declaration, which the U.S. Code calls the Organic Law of the United States, asserts a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. The Declaration goes on to say that all men are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure these God-given rights, our Founders said that governments are instituted among men. So, our foundational law says clearly, explicitly, that the express purpose of government is to secure, to protect, rights we already have from God. It is not the role... Nor the ability of government to give people rights, but instead to protect the rights God has already given us as human beings made in His image. We're often told today that America was founded as a secular country where law and government are supposedly neutral and totally man made. Well, this is false. This is dangerous. This is destructive of liberty. And as has been demonstrated, this is un American. This is Michael Anthony Peruka for Institute on the Constitution, bringing you The American View.
0: I hope that wasn't difficult. You may have noticed the answers are in your student manual. I hope you didn't cheat. The quiz you just took was designed to bring you to the conclusion that the Founders' original intent was for the Church and the State to work together, side by side, to set up a moral government. Our government is only sufficient for a just and moral people. Now I said I had one more video, and this one is from the late Paul Harvey. What happened to the signers of the Declaration of Independence? But for any eve of the 4th of July, I, Paul Harvey, do
5: herewith bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you'll always be able to quote at least one line. in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you it says we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor in the Pennsylvania State House that's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia the best men from each of the colonies sat down together this was a very fortunate hour in our nation's history one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare these were men of means well educated 24 were lawyers and jurists Nine were farmers, owners of large plantations. On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. We were gonna tell the British fatherland, no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam, of ruthless foreign rule, a stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy. And we were gonna like a fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry, there was no demagoguery in this group. All had shared hardship. Jefferson finished the draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July and so much is familiar history. But now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors, punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence The names were kept secret for six months, for each knew the full meaning of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty-six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty-six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. And if they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope. But they signed the pledge. And here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton, of Virginia wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas to pay his debt. He lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. Thomas Lynch, Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed. His wife and he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery, and Clymer, and Hall, and Gwinnett, and Walton, and Hayward, and Rutledge, and Middleton. Thomas Nelson, Jr., of Virginia, raised $2 million on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his, Nelson's, own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. It was destroyed. Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife imprisoned. He died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured mistreated. His health broken to the extent that he died at 51. His estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward, Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war. To find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone. And he died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for. That great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity. towers over the others one of the wealthiest men in New England. And yet he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war, and he said, Burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar, if the public good requires it. So he, too, lived up to the pledge. Of the fifty-six, you were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullet. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that summer in Philadelphia. But I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. They were rich men, most of them, and had enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, certainly not terrorists, not irresponsible malcontents, not fanatical incendiaries. These men were prosperous men, wealthy landowners. They were substantially secure in their prosperity. They had everything to lose. But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it, they had learned that liberty is so much more important than security, that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor and they fulfilled their pledge. They paid the private. And freedom was born.
1: We hold these truths to be so evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
0: all i have for lesson one let's close with a prayer and then i'll see you in lesson two almighty creator please give this student the knowledge and strength to go out into the world and make a difference by shining a light on your glory let your will be done and return our republic to a just and moral society that was fashioned after biblical principles amen <clears throat> so so that's the, uh, the preview. That's the preview, the free preview of Lesson 1. And I hope you enjoyed it. That's the first of four lessons in that first course. I haven't even finished Lesson 2 yet, but I wanted to get that out there to you. And I, I wanted to see if it was something that I should continue doing. It's a lot of work. And I I want your support. So if you're interested in these courses, like I said, liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom. And uh, you can either buy each course individually. That one is going to be $10. Or you can, uh, uh, right now, code lighthouse gets gets you 50% off, so it would be $5. Or you can subscribe, which is $100 a year. Using code lighthouse, it would be $50 a year or $10 a month, $5 a month, and get all the courses as they're being made, plus all of my books, offer that subscription price. We only have a couple of minutes left. But if you have questions, comments, or concerns, I will open up the phone lines for these last couple of minutes. 512-248-8252. If you must use a toll-free line, it's 800-313-9443. The Paul Harvey thing, I... Anytime I hear that particular story, I, it brings a tear to my eye. When, when you listen to what happened to these men that signed the Declaration of Independence, it really it it, it really, uh, it chokes me up a little bit. And it makes me think, am I ready? Are you ready? Could you pledge your life, your fortune, and your sacred honor and honestly mean it? Because if you can't, then the evils are not... Are there, they're still sufferable. The Declaration of Independence says that men are more likely to suffer the evils that are sufferable, rather than the right, their own government, throw off what they know, what's comfortable, for something new. So where are you in this? Are the evils still sufferable? I don't know. I I put a lot of time and effort into writing my books and doing this show and now building these courses. So much so that my my beautiful wife was a little upset with me the other day when I was trying really, really hard to get this lesson one done before this show so I could play that and give you a free sample of what the course will be like. I hope it's worth it. I hope you think it's worth it. But like I said, it's a lot of work. I need your support. I need you to show me that it's worthwhile worth worth doing. It's a worthwhile endeavor. Go and subscribe. Use the code Lighthouse before the middle of September. Save 50%. Give me five bucks a month just to show me that the courses are worth making. I greatly appreciate that. And then of course, I also at the same time have a book coming out, A More Tyrannical King. That comes out on September seventeenth on Constitution Day. It's ten ninety nine in paperback, five ninety-nine in electronic book, ebook, Kindle book, whatever you want to call it. Or if you subscribe, you can get it for free for no additional charge. So it brings me to the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Mike, my producer. Can't do the show without you. I'm not gonna be here next week. We got Steve O'Brien that's gonna be filling in. We got a concert to go to with beautiful wife. Until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America.
2: are dropping their own crops for the day, a friend is in need and they've come to help.
5: It's what this community and a lot of our communities stand for.
3: Somebody needs some help, you'll get it.